I want to have Michael Cade come up. Give Michael a hand as he makes his way up here. I love Michael Cade. He's been with us for many, many years, and he's not just with us, he's with us. And, and I shared, I shared uh, uh, last week, you know, as we were talking about the principle of consecration, it wasn't so much what David gave to the Lord, it was who David gave to the Lord. He gave himself to the Lord, and he gave himself extravagantly. And I shared that as David, as the leader, led the people followed. And I just want you to know, and I, I share this as a matter of integrity and spiritual leadership, uh, our leadership team here leads the way first. We're not asking you to do something we're not doing. We're not asking you to love God in a way or follow God in a way we're not willing to go first. Oh, you know, that's not leadership, especially not spiritual leadership. Spiritual leaders lead the way. David led the way. And so we pulled together a core group of our folks here who are our leaders. Uh, Michael heads up all of our uh, deacons' ministry. Some of you notice all the way out in the parking lot to greeters and ushers and all these folks that are in place. That's part of what Michael and Dawn do every single week in, in just setting the table for us. How many of you know that deserves a round of applause right there? Amen. We appreciate you. But... And I'm telling you, we can't make this stuff up, but I'm, this is what's going to happen, all right? We asked everybody uh, that was a part of that initial gathering if, if we could pray early and say, Lord, what are you asking us to do? What, is, you know, what, what do you want us to do over the next three years regarding the building expansion, all right? And we asked them to turn in that three-year amount, what they be, are believing, the faith goal. How I many you know it's just a faith goal? It's not anything legal. It's not a doc. It's just a faith goal. What is it, God, that you're putting in my heart that you want us to do? And uh, I got a text this week because last Sunday, Michael and Dawn had prayed. They, they turned in their amount to, to Ed, and um, we're going to be sharing those at a meeting we're having later in the week. But why don't you share kind of what God was doing in that process with maybe even how you did that and, you know, and then what happened because it's amazing. Okay. Um, first thing, this is just kind of for my own benefit. You know, we're, we're going into this, this program. We believe it's time to expand the house and make things a little more clear and organized. How many people were here for the, one of the original two building projects with the, you know, the, the main sanctuary? And could you people please stand up? We were in our life group a couple of weeks ago, and it's a heavy-hitting life group. It's not like, you know, a bunch of new people that just got here. Kind of our average years of attendance was like 10 or 12 years, and I realized that none of us were involved in any of these original projects. And when you looked who stood up here, there were a handful of people, 15, 20, you know, maybe 10% of the entire group. And God, I believe, has been telling us, and I know Dr. Oz mentioned it, now is our time. Okay, these people came ahead, and there were other people that have come ahead, and you know maybe others that have gone on to ministry in other places. But now it's our time. It's our time to step up and quit parking on their dime and move ahead. And and God God really shared that with me and my wife and I. We, we've been involved in other projects, like at other churches before we came here. But God really put on our hearts that this is really the place that we need to step out in faith and really jump into it. And we were praying and believing, and we both came up with a figure, and it was almost the identical figure. And it's like, okay, we, you know, this, we could do this, we could do this. You know. But this is the figure that God gave to us. 
And I don't, does anybody remember when you bought your first house and you signed the paper? And it's like, <laughs> yes! You know? And then you went to bed that night. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> what did I get myself into? How, how am I possibly going to, you know? And that's kind of where we were with, with, with our pledge. We, we, we're stepping out in faith. It's not something we can, you know, pull out of my wallet. And it's like, okay, we're done. But we believe that this is what God had called us to do and to step forward into this. And if when you make your pledge and you don't have that same, like, oh, God, what did I do? Maybe you need to add another zero. Maybe that's what God's <laughs> telling you to do. But... But we stepped out, and as Pastor said, there was a small group of the leaders, and, and he's telling the truth. The leadership here are the ones that go first, and they step forward, just like the people who were carrying the ark. They stepped into the water first, mm-hmm. and then to lead the way. And the pastoral staff and a few of us leaders, Dr. Ron had asked us, you know, we want you to be all in. We want you to lead the way and, sh- and speak to the congregation. And so we went ahead, and we had this amount, and we gave it to Ed on Sunday, last Sunday, and on Wednesday, my boss contacted me, and he said, you know, the, the company's been profitable this year, and we're going to give you a raise and a bonus. <laughs> I was like, praise God, because it was a fairly substantial bonus, and we were very blessed. But again, we believe it's just because we stepped out, and I think it was just for a time as this, that I would be able to share and build up all your faiths. And you're no, you're no rookie on giving. And I just I share this because we've got two kinds of people. We've got the person out there going, oh, well, come on. Are you trying to put those two things together? Yes, I'm trying to put those two <laughs> things together. How do you step out in faith on Sunday and get unexpectedly called into your boss's office on Wednesday of the same week and get a raise and a bonus? Maybe God's trying to work things through you to be a blessing to what he's doing so you can leave a legacy and you can be a part of impacting people. See, that's what I'm saying. This isn't magic. It's not like, well, if you do the same thing by Wednesday, God's going to... No, it's not magic. It's about you hearing from God, you obeying God, and you just following God. And you're going to... Here's the cool thing. You're going to have your own stories... But I would be remiss if I didn't get people like Michael up here to encourage you. This is the way God works. He's waiting for us to step out in obedience. Then he follows up with the blessing. It's not the other way around. And so I asked Michael if he would just pray for us as we give this morning. Let me just clarify. You know, uh, somebody asked, first of all, I, I was talking with someone this morning. They said, Pastor, now which April are you talking about breaking ground? I'm talking about this April, not 2018. I'm talking about in like four to six weeks breaking ground, all right? Just to clarify, like it's coming really soon. It's going to be a mess around here. Bear with us, all right? We're going to be in about a year-long expansion and building process, okay? But we're not receiving the first offering for the building until the first week in April, okay? So that's going to be a hilarious, joyful joy, supernatural faith, explosion of radical uh, generosity and faith. I want you to come. It's going to be a party that Sunday, all right? And that's how we're going to give. We're going to give in a way that honors the Lord. We're going to give in a way that's hilarious, all right? We're going to have fun. Uh, It's the only kind of gifts we're taking. No long faces, none of that. Just happy faces. That's the only kind of gifts God wants. And uh, and so that's the first Sunday in April. That's what we're ramping up towards, all right? Uh, March the 19th is what we're asking for, our commitment Sunday. That's where we're asking you to pray, just like we asked our leaders to pray, and simply to say, Lord, what do you want us to do? Um, and, uh, and then whenever God tells you, don't choke and fall over and pass out, all right? Uh, 
have faith. That's what we're going to talk about today. So, Michael, lead us in prayer. And let's, 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 as we prepare to give, let's just give joyfully. Let's give with faith. And let's believe that God's going to do amazing things through the seed that we sow today. Lord God, we just thank you that from the very beginning of time, Father, that you have always met the needs of your people. Mm-hmm. Father, that you have called your people in this building to such a time as this. Father, I believe that we are here, Father, for a time that we can expand that we can move forward, that we can expand your kingdom, that we can bring more people into the body. Father, we just thank you for this time that we have to give. Lord, giving back to you what you've given to us first. Father, we know that everything belongs to you. Father, we count it a blessing that we're able to give back to you. Father, and I thank you that as each person gives, as they consider, Father, what they're giving for this project, Lord, that you'll make it clear to them and that you'll multiply it back to them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Mike. I'll take that. While you're doing that, get your Bibles out. I want to start here in Isaiah chapter 54, and I want us to read verse 4 together because this is where we're going to launch off today as we continue through this series. Uh, Isaiah 54, 4. The Lord says, Fear not. You will, excuse me, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace for you, the Lord says. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. Now, just to bring us up to speed, God's covered a lot of ground by by the time we get to verse 4. He's told us to sing when there's no reason to sing. He's told us that our barrenness is no longer going to be a reality, that He's going to bring supernatural fruitfulness. And then God tells us to do something radical. He says, in anticipation for all that I'm getting ready to do in your life, I want you to start building. We talked about that. I want you to enlarge. Last week we said, God said, spare no expense. He wants us to make a rich investment. All this, by the way, is in faith because they haven't seen one bit of the explosion that God promised them. Every single thing they're doing up to this point, singing, building, enlarging, investing, every bit of it is in simple response to what God has said. Now, how many of you know God's word is more, has more authority than his world? I want to say that again. God's word has greater authority than his world. Yeah, God created the world, but sometimes the circumstances of this life do not feed into the picture, the perspective, or what the promises of God declare. You know, just a simple thing. When Tim was declaring that he was going to be released, that was, that was supernatural faith that he had in his heart, that he had been walking with God, that he had been standing with God, that he had been trusting the Lord. And, and sure enough, the very thing that God had placed in his heart and when he, that he declared with his mouth happened. And even his own attorney that was meant, who was there to get him off the hook, right, was stunned. The attorney had zero faith. Because the attorney is not walking with God. God's word has more authority than his world that he created. And so we need to stand upon the word of God. When God tells you to do something, bank on it. When God tells you to step out, step out. When God causes you to, 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 to enlarge, enlarge. When God causes you to do something that requires faith, take him up on it and watch what he begins to do. And so he wants to move us from a position of barrenness and brokenness to a place of freedom and fruitfulness. How many of you are up for that? Coming out of our barrenness and brokenness and being launched into a lifestyle where we're free. You're looking at a free man right there. It's exciting. And fruitful. That's the the identity that God wants us to have. Free and fruitful. And so that brings us up to verse 4 right here because God's dealing with the biggest obstacle, the greatest thing in our lives that keeps us from freedom and fruitfulness is another word that starts with F, and that's the word fear. 
How many of you have ever dealt with fear before? You know, when it comes to stepping out, when it comes to change, when it comes to believing God, when it comes to moving from where we are to where God wants us to be, I just want to tell you, if you're not afraid, something's not right with you. Because none of us like uncertainty, none of us like change, at least not that kind of change. None of us like to stick our necks out where we're not sure what's going to happen. Most people are not uh, people that love risk, taking risk. Um, none of us like pain, and sometimes when you step out like that, uh, the result is some pain. So I'm just telling you, I get it. Anytime the Lord is going to ask us to move forward, we're going to be uncomfortable. That will be our first emotion, is uncomfortability. But I love what Tim did. <laughs> There's the lights. First feeling, oh God, no. Second feeling is, it's going to be all right. Go with the second feeling. The first feeling is you being you. It's okay to be you. You're not God. You're a human being. Human beings experience fear. It's okay to, to address the momentary fear. But then take a hold of that and then begin to say, okay, but what does God say about this situation? And begin to move into the realm of faith. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? This is a very, very important. So have you ever wondered, you know, I was thinking about the Hebrews, the children of Israel. This is an interesting principle I want to make here as far as moving from fear into faith. I was reading in the Bible before. In fact, the first time, I think it's the second time you encounter this word Hebrews is in Exodus chapter 2. It's with Pharaoh's daughter. And they referred to uh, Moses as one of the Hebrew children. But there's no explanation as to where this term Hebrew came from. It's kind of an interesting word. How many of you have ever someone's asked you from out of state, like Aaron or some of those Cajuns? They say, hey, you guys are Hoosiers, right? What's a Hoosier? And then you give them the typical answer. I don't know. I just live here right? I mean, everybody has their, like, their little pet theory on what a Hoosier is, but none of us really know what a Hoosier is. We just are Hoosiers. Well, guess what? I had the same question about Hebrews. What is a Hebrew? Well, the word Hebrew literally means, ready for this? It means to cross over. It's people who cross over. In fact, this is interesting because the first Hebrew was Abraham, and I want you to go to this passage with me because we're, I'm inviting you to cross over with me today, all right? The Lord is giving an invitation to cross over. Look at Genesis chapter 12 and uh, verses 1 through 3. I think I'm getting some echoing back here if you guys can help me out in the sound booth. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says, the Lord said to Abram, leave. Everybody say Leave. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. I want you to circle that word leave because it's an important word. This sounds so trite, but it's so huge. If you want to go to a new place, you have to leave. You have to leave where you were. Some of you emotionally, God's inviting you to leave. Some of you relationally, God's inviting you to leave. Leave where you're at, go to somewhere new. Some of you in the realm of faith, I'll just say this, some of you in the realm of faith over your finances and, uh, and, and the ability of God to provide. If you want to move into a realm of strength and financial strength and stability, you have to leave your current state of thinking. And most of the time, the leaving that needs to occur is not so much physical. It's a 
It's a mental thing. It is, it is our thought processes that need to change. We have to leave where we used to be, how we used to think, and we have to cross over. Now, I want you to see something about Abraham here because we can relate to this. God was asking him to leave the things which gave him a sense of comfort and security. Look at what it says here in verse, uh, uh, verse 1. Leave your, leave your hometown, basically, your country. Leave your relatives. Leave your family. And I'm going to go somewhere that I'm going to show you. In fact, don't ask me when you're going to get there, how or where. Just trust me. You know, that's a huge thing for us. Trusting God with an uncertain future when, in fact, God has already been in our uncertain future. He's already been there. He wants us to trust Him. And so Abraham was the first of the Hebrews, the first of the children of Israel. But how many of you know they had to cross over the Red Sea to get out of bondage to the past. They had to cross over the Jordan River to get into their promised land. You get the idea. We are Hebrews by faith. What what does that mean, Pastor? It means you're a person who crosses over. It means you're a person who's willing to leave where you were to get where God wants you to be. That's the whole idea, by the way, behind this Isaiah 54, I-54 highway. Well, what is it? It's, It's taking us from where we are to where God wants us to be. How many of you know you got to get on the highway? You got to get on the on ramp. You got to move ahead. You have to cross over, and crossing over requires faith. But this brings me to our problem. This brings me to our text here in Isaiah 54 4. Because the Lord has to say to us this He says, Fear not. He says, You're no longer going to live in shame. Now, I want to talk about shame for a moment because I feel like I've had to deal with lots of shame in my life. In fact, when I run for office, how many of you know the goal of the opposition is to publicly shame you? In fact, there's people that look for every bit of dirt that you can possibly find uh, on someone's past because if you can find dirt in their past, you can shame them. And if you can shame them, sometimes they won't even go public. How many of you know there's a lot of great people in this country who probably should be in office? but who aren't in office because they're afraid about something that is maybe shameful that happened earlier in their life. It might be 20, 30 years ago. But how many of you know the devil doesn't care? The devil doesn't care where, how far back he wants to look in your life to find something that you're embarrassed of. And let me just tell you this. One of the biggest areas of embarrassment has to do with our sexuality. How many of you know sometimes with men, if, it's, if, if they have a porn addiction, all of a sudden the porn addiction is exposed, Oh my gosh, it's huge. It's huge. The amount of shame that is covered over their lives is huge. Or we have shameful things that happen. Uh, I had a man at the church one time uh, that had a shameful thing that he had done years and years ago. He's a Christian now. He loves the Lord. But guess what? He, he's still registered as somebody who's an offender. All right? that, that, that's, that's the identity the state has placed upon him. So he has, has still had to live with that sense of shame upon his life. Now, he doesn't have to live that, but that, that's what's the way we are by nature. We have shameful things that embarrass us. They cause us to have uh, emotional nuclear meltdowns. And I want to give you three things here that shame does to us, and then we're going to take a moment to get free from shame. Shame, first of all, poisons our past. Shame poisons our past. I want you to, to, to think about these questions, and maybe they're good questions even to write down, because I'm not assuming that everything's going to be said and done and settled right now. But I want you to think about these and and maybe visit them after the service in your time with the Lord. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about past failures or embarrassments? When your mind is able just to run, what are the things that that are kind of 
uh, running through your mind almost on autoplay? What are those things that you're thinking about? Are they past failures? Are they past embarrassments? Are they things that, that have tormented you? How about this? Are there things in your past that elicit painful and strong emotions, especially when you reflect on them? In other words, are are there things that when you think back about it, maybe it happened 10, 15 years ago, do you have a sense of anger that rises up in your heart? Do you have a sense of guilt that rises up in your heart when you think about those things? How about this one? Are you stuck making the same mistakes over and over and over again? And here's another thing that shame brings. How about this question? When you're sitting alone by yourself, are you thoroughly disgusted with who you are? Are you thoroughly disgusted with who you are? Now, you might not tell that to other people. You might not share that publicly. But in your heart of hearts, when you think about who you are, the man or woman that you are, is there a a sense or feeling of where you're just disgusted uh, with who you are right now? All of these things, if you answer yes to any of those questions, they're all just indications that you still have this monster of shame that's poisoning your past and continuing to beat you up. I mean, you know, there's one thing to have guilt over realized sin, all right? If we sin, you should feel guilty. People that have no remorse over sin uh, are, are psychopaths, all right? They're serial killers. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're nutcases. They're dangerous people. God made guilt to be a normal emotion that we have when we sin against Him and we sin against others. What we do with that guilt, though, is really, really important. And if you don't deal with the guilt correctly, the devil jumps on and begins shaming you, which leads me to the second point here. Shame propagandizes our present. All right, we're going to get into that in a moment. It propagandizes. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? I mean that the devil has a mouthpiece, and he begins to trumpet in your, between your ears all of the horrible things that you've done and all the reasons you need to be ashamed of yourself, all right? Point number three, shame paralyzes our future. This one's important. Shame paralyzes our future. Shame, by a formal definition, is simply a painful feeling of having lost respect of others because of an improper behavior or sin or label of incompetence. I mean, you know, it's very painful when people look at you and they think you're an idiot because of whatever it is that you did basically communicates you're incompetent, especially I'm speaking to you men. There's nothing, nothing, you know, because we're wired by honor. You know, the Bible tells wives, hey, wives, honor your husbands. Tells husbands, love your wives, right? Nothing is more painful for a man than if in the public arena he feels like people think he's incompetent or people think he has no, he's not worthy of honor or respect. I mean, that is a dagger in the heart of every man in particular. It's shame arises from dishonor or disgrace that stems from something regrettable or unfortunate or something outrageous. And I want you to go back with me to the birthplace of shame, which is all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You remember Adam and Eve after they disobeyed God. The very first thing they, they tried to do was hide from God. How many of you know, first of all, if you're here today and you've got guilt and shame that are, that are eating you up, the good news is and the bad news is it goes both ways. You cannot hide from God which means you cannot outrun your guilt. You cannot try to deal with it yourself. You can't pay the price of shame for yourself. That's the bad news. The good news is somebody's already paid the price and God knows everything about you and he loves you and he's crazy about you and he wants to set you free from that. That's the good news. But you can't hide. There's nowhere to run. But you know the story. Adam and Eve felt self-conscious. They felt naked. They felt exposed. They knew they were guilty. They had a deep sense of regret and shame for what had happened. 
And this is where the enemy comes in. This is where I mentioned about propaganda. If you don't deal with your guilt in the proper biblical way, the devil will pile on you and start propagandizing the shameful things from your past. You know what I mean by that? That means, I mean, you know that little voice inside your head that keeps telling you what a loser you are, that keeps telling you what a bad person you are, that keeps telling you, I can't, you know, I cannot believe you did that. I cannot believe you did that. Uh, I mean, how many of you know that's the voice of the enemy? He's an accuser. He constantly propagandizes our present. He constantly reminds us why we're not fit to do whatever it is that God's trying to do in our lives, all right? This is the propaganda machine that he runs. He's an accuser. Accuse, 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 accuse. And sometimes, I, you know, I've been in that shame before. Uh, the goal, by the way, of shame is to paralyze us from any activity. It's to cause you to be like the turtle that pulls his head back in the shell and pulls his little feet in and just lays there and tries to hide. That's not where God has us to be, but that's exactly what shame wants to do. So the devil, here's how he propagandizes your present. Listen, here, tell me if you've heard any of these or forms of these in your life right now. You're unacceptable. You have defiled yourself. People will now see the worst of me. You're undesirable, you're dirty, you're disgusting. These are all voices of the enemy inside our head telling us how bad we are based on what our past behavior has been. You know, when, when Tim was talking about the lights going off and none of us like police lights going off and pulling us over, but I mean, you know, those lights can send you back to bad places in a hurry. Those lights can send you back to, uh, to things that you did in the past that still cause pain or you're still ashamed of. And I'm telling you, the devil can use that, and he just gets out his blowhorn, and he just starts telling you again what a loser you are and how you'll never change and how you're absolutely unworthy of anything good or any blessing of God in your life or any love or any affection. Or how about this one? You're unworthy of forgiveness. You're unworthy of grace. You're unworthy of mercy. Shame is this merciless critic in our heads that speaks condemnation to our hearts. Merciless critic in our heads that speaks condemnation to our hearts. It leaves us feeling unworthy of approval. It leaves us feeling self-conscious. It leaves us feeling as if we have no value whatsoever. And here's the amazing thing I've noticed about shame. Every one of us in this room have, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can I get an amen on that? And isn't it amazing when you, a lot of times you talk to people, maybe you invite them out to church, and, and how many of you have ever said this or thought this? Oh, buddy, you don't want me to come to church. This, the, the roof will split wide open and, and, and uh, fire will fall from heaven and consume me. Any of you ever had that thought? Well, what is that? It, it, first of all, is that true? Is that God's response to you? No. Or how about this one? You do something that you're ashamed of, and maybe you come in and meet with one of the pastors and you have some counseling, we pray together. And then, and then how about this one? Well, I can't come to church on Sunday. Well, why? Everybody knows. How about you know, how about you know that's a lie? Because most of the time, nobody knows. But you're, you got this thing blown out of proportion. Here's what the devil does. Everybody knows what a loser I am. Everybody knows 
What a selfish jerk I am. Everybody knows how lustful I am. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Let me just tell you something. There's only one person that really you cared that knows, and that's God. And he really knows. Everybody else's opinion doesn't really matter. And secondly, how many of you know, most people not only don't know, they don't care. (laughs) Which is a little bit painful. We wish they cared more, but they don't care. So who's telling you all these things about how unworthy you are for God to ever love you or use you or forgive you? The devil's telling you all these things. Or he's telling you, you know what, you're never going to change. You're never going to change. You're just going to be a big loser the rest of your life. That's what he does. He reminds us of all these things. And here's the problem. The result is if you're constantly focused on do they know, do they know, do they know. I mean, I'm just going to lay it out here. What time did I get? All right, good. Um, I was a youth pastor for 12 years. I did a big event called Youth Bash for 10 years. All right? 10 years I spent my entire New Year's Eve with thousands of teenagers, hundreds of adults, doing an amazing event for a decade. I never took a dime. I never expected a dime. We led hundreds of kids to the Lord. But one year, I made a really bad decision. We had, it was the environment of the times was gross-out stuff. Y'all remember there were TV shows where people had to eat gross things. Y'all remember that? So I had this great idea from hell at the time <laughs> that we would do a gross-out game at Youth Bash. And invite kids to eat gross things and then give them prizes. That was not a good idea. But you know what? I was, I'm not Satan. I'm just a human being that made a stupid idea. And then I got a, a lawsuit. I got a phone call from, from the media saying, we're doing an article. Do you know that you're being sued? I said, no. Well, the article's coming out in the paper today. I said, don't publish that article. I said, because it is going to destroy an event that we've done for a decade, and you don't even know the the whole truth on the article. It didn't matter. The next day, Channel 5 News, Channel 5 News from Chicago, was driving in my front yard, knocking on my door to interview me. I'm laying in bed with a migraine. I'm not sure where that came from. And then I spent, you ready for this? I spent a week in court where my prosecuting attorney made me look like I was Satan incarnate for a week. And then the lawsuit came down. And then it just went from bad to worse. I I remember walking in public like to the bank. I'm a rock star at my bank. They love me. Putting in big bucks all the time. They love me there. (laughs) And I remember walking in, and you would see people, normal people, that would look at you, and then they start talking to somebody. And I have no idea what they're talking about. They could be talking about the sale at Jewel for chicken. But I'm standing there going, oh, God, they're talking about me. I'm evil. I'm a bad dad. I'm a horrible youth pastor. I'm the devil incarnate. What am I doing? Let me just take my check and 
go through the drive-thru. No, they'll see me in the drive-thru. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then the Lord leads me to run for office. And 60,000 people get a mailing that makes me look like a child abuser. I have eight kids. I've been married for over 30 years. All my kids like me. I've never abused one of them. I've been a youth pastor for 12 years. All those kids like me. But 60,000 people get a piece that basically says, I am a child molester, unfit for life, and if you vote for this guy, you're an idiot because he is an idiot. Do you know what that was? That was a mega shame bomb that was dropped in my life. And I'm telling you, I, I, right back here, that's why this, you walk back this hallway, I'm going to put a plaque up there someday. You all can come back and have your own God encounter. But I felt, I felt shame coming to church. I felt shame standing in front of my parents. I felt shame coming up in front of the church on Sunday morning to even talk. I had to fight through all that. But there was one day I felt God inviting me to get alone with him. So you know where I went? I walked right back here, down this little hallway. There's a door right back here. leads into the men's baptistry. I locked the door. And then I went into the other inside door. I closed that one. It had a lock on that one, too. I locked that sucker. Double locked doors. And I got on my knees. And I had the most powerful time with the Lord. He just started speaking to me. And he told me, he said, look, it was your stupid act. I didn't do that. That was what you did. But I am using this to destroy the, the, uh, the pride, your desire to do something on my behalf that's your desire, not me. And I'm doing this to break you in a good way to make you more usable. So just trust me in this. And he showed me my, how pride can blind you to something as simple as you probably shouldn't do a gross-out game with kids. I mean, most people would go, eh, not a good idea. But, but I did not have that revelation at the time. I wept and wept and wept. I must have spent two hours in there having a God encounter. It seemed like five minutes. But here's how it came out. The Lord said this, you've humbled yourself through this whole thing, which I did. I tried to go to parents, ask for forgiveness, humble myself, humble, 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 humble. And he said, you know what? I am pleased with you. And I don't call you guilty. And I don't think all those things that the devil's telling you, and maybe some people are saying, I don't think that about you. I love you. And I'm proud of you. Then I cried some more. Because here's the deal. When you go through a shameful experience, you want to go somewhere far away. You want to get out of Dodge. You want to hide. But here's the choice I'm giving some of you this morning. You're either going to hide behind pride and try to handle it yourself and keep it stuffed, or... 
you're going to let it be exposed and bring it to the Lord and hear me. You can either hide it in yourself or you can hide in the cross of Jesus Christ and in what he did for you. Now, I just want to tell you something else. God spoke to me a second time a decade later and said to run for office again. I'm no stupid person, all right? I knew when he said to do that, it was going to be deja vu, round two. How many of you know it's harder to obey God when you know you're getting round two? And I knew, oh God, here we go. In fact, I'm trying to be a man of God during the whole thing. I'm going up to my opponent. I am Mr. Jesus in the flesh, loving on her. And she prophesied to me, well, you know, hey, it's politics. And, and as soon as she said that, I, I realized this person has no character. They, have, they are not concerned with the truth. And they will absolute, absolutely do whatever they can do to make me look like the devil and win a, win a campaign. At that moment, it was like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, obviously light. Um, but at that moment, I knew it's coming. And sure enough, when that first piece shows up at my mailbox, and I look at that and go, unbelievable. How I many of you know it's one thing when it's true, it's another thing when it's not true, and when it's being yelled at to make you look like an absolute loser. And here's was a cool thing. And I say this to the glory of God. I took that piece, I walked it to my trash, and I, this is what I said, Lord, I don't have a reputation. I'm concerned with your reputation, and I thank you that you've, I think, killed most of my reputation last time around, but if there's any more left, have at it. And then the second piece came out. But I'll tell you this, it is so freeing to know at the end of the day, my Heavenly Father is absolutely crazy about me. And when I could stand and look out at every single person and know that my heart is clean and that I am forgiven and that my past is not locked in, my best days are still ahead of me. And the anointing of God on my life is going to increase, not decrease. And that God will use the mistakes of my past, even though they're painful, if I will bring them open. And I just want to say, none of this was in my notes, because I'm thinking, God, do you really want me to share this again? Well, yeah, I'm going to share it again. Because I'm glorying in my shame. Because it's gone. Now, some of you have done things you're absolutely ashamed about. There's been relational failures. There have been things that you've said. There's been ways you hurt people. Uh, we've had people in this church that have, that have done prison time, felonies, I mean, done serious things, hurt people. There's been sexual sin. There's been perversion, sexual perversion. I mean, stuff that we just go, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. And Jesus says, I know you did that, but that's why I died on the cross. You understand that the cross is not just an instrument of death. There's easier ways to kill somebody. The cross was designed to shame a person. After you're beaten beyond recognition, stripped naked, you talk about sexual abuse, stripped naked, 
and nailed on a cross, the goal of that is not just to kill you. You could have cut the person's head off and done it a lot more efficiently. The purpose of the cross was so Jesus Christ could take every shameful, embarrassing, disgusting, vile, selfish thing that any of us could do as human beings and put it on himself publicly, not in private, publicly, so everybody could see. And I was just reading the accounts of the cross this past week. Isn't it amazing that the devil will punch you in the very spot where he knows it hurts the most? Like, imagine somebody has done a youth event for a decade and touched hundreds and hundreds of kids. The first year we did that, we had about 1,500 kids out on New Year's Eve. And so where does the devil hit me the hardest? He basically says, and I, I got, I just went to, I got hate mail. I got stuff from other, I got stuff from other churches that said, you're disgusting. You shouldn't even be in the ministry. I got that from Christians. I got that from pastors. I had people sending me books. I was written up in magazines. I mean, the shame that happened in that simply to tell me I was unfit and unworthy when I felt like after 10 years of what I did, I should have been getting an award, not a lawsuit. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and do you know what people are saying at the foot of the cross? They're saying, oh, you're the big savior guy. You can't even save yourself. What was Jesus' identity? He's the savior of the world. Demonic mockery is going right after his calling. You understand how this works? How many times have we had people who, I want moms, I want to be the best mom, I want to be the best mom. And maybe one of your kids goes sideways a little bit. You know what the devil says? You're a loser. You're a failure as a parent. And you're like, oh, I was trying to be such a good parent. And all of a sudden, the devil just beats you up. This is crazy. Jesus is hanging on a cross of no sin of himself, taking my shame and your shame upon himself. He's suspended between two criminals. And check this out. These guys are in extreme agony, but they have enough strength to mock the Son of God. They're mocking Jesus. Yeah, you can't save yourself, dude. If you're really God, why don't you get down from here? I can't imagine having enough energy after being crucified to mock somebody else. But you know what? When you're inspired by the devil, you can muster up enough strength to throw another dagger in the heart. I mean, here Jesus openly shamed the guilt of the world. And how about the final straw was when his own father has to turn away. His own father cannot even look upon the sin because he's got to judge it. And Jesus deals with the ultimate in shame when his own dad can't even look at him, can't even look him in the eyes. Why does he do it all? So that you and I don't have to live under the burden of guilt and shame. Do you know how freeing it is to be able to lay it all out? That's why I admire, that's how I can tell Tim is a son of God. I want all the band to come up here right now if you can give him your place. Why is Tim a son of God? Because he doesn't stand up here saying, oh God, look at all, look at the stuff of my past. He's already brought that out in the open. 
He's already laid it out there. This is what I did. I am, I am not proud of it. That's who I was. Thank God he forgave me. And listen, that's not who I am, and that's not where I'm going. Let's shut the propaganda machine off today. Let's run to hide in the cross of Jesus Christ. And how about this? Let's stop being paralyzed by who we were or who we think we are and let God free us up to go be who he's called us to be because shame will always keep you uh, silent and introspective. How many of you know the people that God can use the least are people who are constantly thinking about how bad they are or what they have to keep hidden uh, because if people really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me or accept me or God wouldn't love me or accept me. That is the biggest lie in the world. Let's Let's take the shame off of ourselves today. Let's lay it on Jesus at the cross, and let's get out of our in, you know, navel-gazing introspection, because if all you're consumed about is what people think about you, you're never going to even be able to hear what God thinks about you or what God wants to do through you. I don't know if this is speaking to anybody this morning. I hope you're hearing this, because there are people that have real, powerful grips of shame. There's things you have kept hidden. In fact, this is a testimony of people that get free at the encounter. I shared with one of the men there something I did when I was a kid or that was done to me that has kept me in shame all these years. And it was the first time I confessed it with my mouth. And I am free because it's out of my life. Everything that's kept in secret, the devil uses against you. Everything that's brought out in the open and brought before the Lord gets healed and covered in, in, in the blood of Jesus, and we get released from it. I want to open up the altar this morning to folks who say, you know what, I know God's wanting to deal with me on some shame. And he wants you to move out of shame and fear into faith for this new season of our lives individually and your life with us corporately. So stand to your feet. And the worship team did such a great job today just setting the table for us. But we sang a song that said, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. I'm not a slave to fear. I'm not under shame and guilt any longer. I'm a child of God. And as we're singing this song, if there's some shame that you want to release to the Lord, I want you to come forward. And I want you just as an act of worship, just to stand here as a son or as a daughter before the Lord and let him wash you and let him encourage you and let the blood of Jesus be applied. And we want to pray that all the shackles of shame be broken off of God's people this morning. So let's sing this to the Lord.